Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Hi, welcome to Unsheathed. We are live at Further Confusion in beautiful downtown San Jose with an audience of, it must be at least a couple hundred in here. <laughs> Yes, As always, I'm your host, Kyle Gold. And I am Cam Hirasaki. And uh, we're pleased to have with us uh, from SoFool Press, Jeff Eddy. Hi. And uh, we'll be asking him a few questions. we got an exciting show tonight. We're going to take a bunch of questions from you guys out there in the audience. We have an announcement to make uh, about the winner of the Out of Position Character Contest. And we have a giveaway that we will be doing as the last thing, so stick around. But um, first of all, I want to thank everyone for taking time out of their Saturday nights to come hang out with us for an hour, hour and a, hour and a half, however long this goes. However long you're willing to listen to us. Yeah, we, we'll, we will ramble on, as you may or may not be familiar with. Uh, if you have not heard our podcast before, we are a furry writing podcast. Since Hirosaki-san and I both write adult fiction, we tend to include tips on writing adult fiction in the things we talk about, but we do not limit our podcast to adult fiction. We have some cards up front here that have all the information on where to find the podcast, but um, we're unsheathed on Fur Affinity. We have, a, um, we have a listing on iTunes, and we have an email address at unsheathedpodcast at gmail.com, which we had to get because unsheathed at gmail.com was already taken by someone. It, it, it makes us wonder. Yes. I kind of want to send them an email just to ask, who are you? Um, but uh, we wanted to start out since Soulful Press was invited to further confusion as their guest of honor this year. Um, wanted to bring on Jeff because we had uh, Alapex on the live show at the Fall Furry Meet. Um, and so welcome and thank you for coming down here on a Saturday night and not going to any of the dances or anything like that. Well, thanks for having me. As a publisher, I don't get to go to dances. I usually just go to sleep. <laughs> it's worth pointing out that, that way more people have come to see you than came to see Alapex, so you can feel better about that. I tease. <laughs> I kid. We tease because we love. Um, so how's the con been so far? It's been good. Sales are going good. We're getting to meet a lot of people. We're enjoying the, uh, the GOH gig. It's a little... Strange for us, not being, uh, you know, big creative types to be uh, asked to be GOHs. So it's great. And hopefully some of the people out there have attended some of the SoFolf events. And they have a Q&A tomorrow, which, uh, at which Jeff will be answering a bunch more questions. But if you have some, um, we'll take a few tonight, perhaps. Uh, we had a few that we wanted to talk about first. Um, the... Main one is, you know, how how did you get started with this? What did you what led you to found the press? Um, like most things, it started simply. There uh, there was a uh, friend that had some stories that um, needed a venue at the time, uh, and this was ten years ago. At the time, there was really only a few still active furry fanzines. Um, there was, I think, uh, Paw Prince was 
still around at that time, but that was very aggressively G-rated material. Um, there was uh, Yarf, I think, was still operating mm-hmm. to an extent at the time, uh, not very regularly or reliably, I believe, at that point. Um, and there was really a dearth of like places for um, n- not G-rated fiction of a furry nature. Um, so at the time, we started Anthrolations, and uh, we that was our main product for the first couple years. Um, and we did uh, we ended up doing about eight issues of that before, due to lack of time and lack of people to shepherd it. And this was many years later. Um, we stopped producing that title, but that was our first title. And it's just to break in. It's worth mentioning that you know haven't been around at that time. Um, Yarf and Paw Prince, although the the quality of the stories they published was, they had some good stories in them. But they were both very much fan publications. They were run off at Kinkos and bound with square bound with tape, and you know, so Anthrolation was a little more professional. Yeah, um, we entered the um, the space always intended to be a paying market. Uh, it was a low-paying market at first, and then we were able to raise the rate slightly as we went on. But we did pay for submissions. We um, printed. We started out saddle stitching um, printed, but it was um, still a professionally run print job. Uh, and then as we went down the line, we got to do color covers and go from there. So it was, uh, yeah. Um, and it was, I mean, since then, once we had that worked out and I'd worked out all the the other things that go along with publishing something, which is the accounting and the legal and the, all that other stuff, um, might as well continue and do other things. And um, we had a lot of help. Um, Tim Sussman, who was the co-founder um, with me, did a, a lot of work um, sort of pushing us along, taking us into new directions and new places, also providing material. He was the he was the person who we initially had to found the magazine because he had these stories that needed publishing. Um, and then Alapex, when he joined us in uh, 2001, I think it was, um, which was... So we started in 2000. Our, our first selling convention was Further Confusion, January 2000. So this is our 10th anniversary year. We're starting now. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. And literally thank everyone who has been, you know, um, buying our publications from the start or even just recently because it's, it's really the people who, who are purchasing the products that allow us to keep going and to keep getting bigger and bigger and doing bigger and bigger things all the time. So... Um, but so when Alapex joined in uh, 2001, he helped a lot with the logistics and a lot of the day-to-day operations. And and then when he took over the reins of uh, Heat uh, after the first issue, which I did the layout and the design on, um, uh, and I don't have any idea when that was, but um, when he took that over, he's done some great things with Heat. He's really brought it into where I wanted it to be, ultimately. And then uh, Mark Brown has um, done a lot with marketing. He brought in an experience with the comics market um, through past endeavors of his. So, uh, yeah, it's been great. The longer we're around, the more things we think of we want to do. 
Cool. So I wanted to ask you here uh, at this point then, so what do you sort of see the place of adult fiction specifically out there in the furry marketplace and out there for publishing? This question comes up a lot, really. And I think ultimately, down at the base of matters, quality gets respect, ultimately, regardless of what, uh, whether it has adult material or it does not have adult material in it. Uh, quality really gets respect. And... Um, the uh, the um, the Coyote uh, tangent when they did their uh, their um, um, the deck of cards with the the dog pinups on them uh, the kennel, kennel club the kennel club yeah. deck um, they they had a lot of instances where they were showing these things around in in like just you know bars and places and the reaction of the general public was just very positive. I mean, they didn't find anything wrong with this at all. I mean, that's removing it from context a little bit, and, you know, it's more of a fanciful kind of representation, but, you know, quality art gets seen as quality art, even if it's a little pin-up-y or risque in nature. Of course, um, if you're showing it in bars, it's like, hey, have another beer, and what do you think about this deck of cards? <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, uh, we came back from Anthrocon with a... Uh, big stand-up uh, critter that they'd done for the deck, and granted it wasn't quite so adult, but the uh, um, the dog breeder that we knew at the time really enjoyed it, too. So, I don't know, but... Um, <laughs> Those dog breeders are crazy, yeah, though. That's right. Yes, they are, definitely. Um, but then you have, like, Black Sad, which is which is pretty adult in, in a lot of ways, um, both with violence and some sex in number two it was, I yep, think. number two. Um, I know that one well. Granted, again, that's a European market, so they're a little more open to things like that, but that's, you know, very popular. And um, They're so advanced over there. But, but uh, you know, it is a European market, but not only has was Black Sad initially translated and sold in the United States by iBooks, but I actually heard at this convention that... Uh, Dark Horse has picked up, uh, iBooks went bankrupt, and that was a real tragic circumstance, but um, Dark Horse has picked up the rights to distribute Black Sad in English, and they're going to be doing all three issues in English translation. So it's not just that it's a European comic, but it's, def- it's found enough of an American marketplace to be translated and sold here twice. Yeah, sure. And um, I think also the, neg- the negative perceptions that you hear about from the fan uh, you know, of the fandom are really all based around the more s- sensational aspects. You really don't hear, you know, people on the outside saying, gee, do you hear those novels those furries are writing? I mean, when you've got a novel and it's a quality piece of, like, writing, and, I mean, it really shows Kyle's, uh, uh, um, the out-of-position and the, the uh, success you've had in the, in the mainstream oh. romance, you know, yeah, thank category. You. Thank you very much. Is yes. means that... The furry thing, while considered a little odd and a little strange to some people, uh, can be easily looked over and said, well, you know, these are good characters, these are good stories, so we don't really, we don't really get the furry thing, but we get, we get a good story and we get a good novel. So, yeah, that's great. And, and I think, too, that when it gets to a certain audience that's open to that sort of thing, it almost becomes a positive because it makes your book stand out from all the other romances. I mean, there were the, the Rainbow Awards thing. There were 540-some books considered for that that were just published this year. So, and you know, how many furry books were published this year? Like two. 
So they definitely stand That's out as something more unique. Than that. Well, maybe, yeah. <laughs> um, but when you take all the varnish off of it, I mean, when you come down to the real nitty-gritty of things, whenever you choose to write adult material, whether it's furry or it's romance or, you know, any kind of genre, uh, you're you're choosing a path that's going to to open some doors and close some others. Um, you know, it happens with anything that you choose in anything that you write. You're going to go down a, a path that's going to alienate some people who might have read your book and maybe tune in some others. So you need to choose um, choose that. But, I mean, it's it, it may or may not be thought of as a negative by everyone. And in not even especially literary critics. Um, I have an anecdote here to pass on that um, uh, someone that we're working with on a story for the next heat um, is a graduate writing student. Uh, uh, he goes by um, uh, uh, Tempo online um, on FA and on, I think, So Furry, it's called now, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, So Furry. So, yeah. Um, He's. As, Tempo 321 on yeah, Affinity? but he's got alts for both that okay. Tempo points to Tempo 321, but okay. that's what he has. So anyway, um, but he, when he was accepted to Heat, he was very excited, and he actually told his writing, uh, um, writing advisor, and I have the exact words that he communicated here. He said um, he was being published by a niche romance magazine oriented towards the symbolic use of totemic figures. And she responded immediately, oh my God, you're writing furry porn. (laughs) Now, may I I just say that's awesome? (laughs) That is very awesome. And and, and now as it... Turns out she writes Harry Potter slash um, <laughs> in her spare time. So, you know, it's not a big leap there. But, I mean, she's really actually been very excited about it. Um, she's thrilled that he's found an outlet that enthuses him, that he's really interested in, that he's working on very strongly. Um, he's now, <laughs> since then, he's in the midst of about three different projects that he's working on with little short stories and vignettes here and there. And, like, all of them are very intriguing and very interesting. And and um, yeah, he's really been fired up by this. And she sees this and knows this and understands that, you know, any good fiction is good fiction. So That's very cool. So, yeah. Um, so some, uh, I'm sort of, you know, anticipating the questions, but – and you actually – we're at a panel on this yesterday, but uh, if there's so there are plenty of people out there who now would like to be published through Sofa Wolf, and if you could just run down real quick a list of things that you would advise them to do or not to do um, prior to contacting Sofa Wolf, I'm sure, sure that would anticipate many of the questions here. Oh yeah, sure. Um, general rules for everything is really give us your best. I mean, when you submit to us, it should have gone through every bit of peer editing that you can possibly find, uh, every resource you can tap into to say, um, look over your stuff, Um, friends, non-friends, you know, any of the writing sites, like what's the the one, the... Oh, there's a bunch. There's Critique Circle, um, Blackfeather was talking about critters.org. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
That's right. I remember. For rag does some critique and also right for rag as well. Yeah, I mean, really get it out there. Get some other people to see it. Get their comments. Revise it. Edit it. Go through. You know. Clean it up, look it over. Don't obsess over it. Uh, um, one writer had said something about uh, there's a time to get your s- stories out of the house before they like like eat everything in the fridge. And you, <laughs> you know you've got to you've got to do your best and then get it out there and get it into our hands and get it into uh, maybe others if we don't take it. But but anyway, um, get it out there. But go with the best. We have to make a go no go decision based on what you've given us right now. And true, it's not going to be, yes, it's in its final form, but we have to see it as close as possible so that we know how much work needs to be put into it in order to make it publishable. And everyone else out there is putting a ton of work into their submissions, too, and that's who you're competing against. Um, If you're sending us something like a – oh, well, I'll cover this when I get down to novels, but – the other general point I would say would be that the more you are out there doing things, the more you're noticed, the more you're, you're doing a lot of little short stories, a lot of this, a lot of that um, on Twitter, on Facebook, you know, have a bunch of people following you. The more we know that you're out there kind of really being active, the more it more attractive it makes your submission. We don't use that as a criteria, but it certainly helps to know that the the writer's going to be really engaging and really kind of bringing in the sales. Because really, when you get right down to it, we're a business. We are in the business of, of finding really good stuff, providing it to our readers, and providing money for you guys that we publish your work and for us so that we can publish more works and, you know, keep growing the company and Mm -hmm. do all this great stuff and get into color and all these other fun things. So, um, and just to break it down a little bit, um, for short fiction, uh, short stories, we have, um, two titles, there's heat and there's new fables, both of which have, um, submission periods and websites with information saying, you know, we're doing a, Call for submissions now, turn in your stuff, and then we'll close it and we'll go over the stories we've got, make a selection, and then next year we'll open it up again. So um, look to the pages for the, the publication, buy copies of the publication, read them, look what we're printing now, um, and then go from there and follow the guidelines, submit when we ask you to. Um, and with a short story, a nice... With either a short story or a novel, the cover letter helps a lot. I mean, really put your best foot forward. Write it really well because the more – that is literally the first thing that we see before we even pull the story out and put it into the queue to be reviewed is your cover letter. Um, you know, again, we may not throw something out just because the cover letter is not very good, but it's not getting a good impression. Um, you know, Put your best foot forward. Even you know, have your – Peer editing friends, peer edit your cover letter. You know, <laughs> go over it. Make sure it looks good. Um, and then for for novels, generally, we want to know, we want to hear from you when you have about seventy five percent of your novel written, um, and in a kind of first draft form. I mean, we don't. We don't want to hear about an idea that you have. Um, we want to hear about a novel that you're 
nearing completion on um, or you know have complete that would be fine as well it, it's not 75 is not a magic number but at least that much um, when you're sending it to us again pitch it really well get your pitch tight make sure you're ex- explaining the novel clearly concisely in the shortest amount of space possible two three paragraphs at most um, describe it give us a Give us an elevator pitch at the start and then describe it in a little more depth, but not a lot. Um, and we talked about that, I think, a little bit earlier today at one of the other panels I was at. I've been on, like, three so far. And, it's hard um, to remember. Yeah, it's hard to remember exactly where we, where we had these discussions. But um, I know I and a lot of other authors hate, hate summarizing our novels. Because it feels like, well, you're, I'm just giving you the plot, and the plot's really boring, and it doesn't give you all the excitement of the novel and everything. But if you can't summarize the story you're trying to tell with the novel, then your novel might have some problems. So that should be something that you're thinking about as you're writing it. You know, what's the, how do I boil this down to tell? If someone asks you, what's your novel about, and you can't answer them in like two or three sentences, then you need to think about that some more because people are going to ask you that. And it's no great shakes trying to summarize a novel for all the marketing uh, collateral either. So we also have to do that as well and say, okay, here's this whole novel. It's great, but, you know, how do we boil it down into something that can go on a marketing sheet? It's a diehard on a blank. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. Yeah. and then when you send us, don't send us the whole novel, send us the first chapter. Um, your summary and the first chapter should be enough for us to kind of see um, what your story is about, what your writing style is, what kind of effort you've put into it, um, whether it's going to fit what we're looking for. Uh, and then if, if we read it and we like it, we'll come back and ask for the whole thing, um, maybe, and go from there. Um, so, And then the last point I would have would be just be be a little persistent be respectfully persistent um there is nothing at all wrong with submitting your novel in your cover sheet or your first chapter of your novel in your cover sheet and then checking in in like a week and say did you receive it because you know email's email and you know who knows what could have happened and you want to make sure that we got it but the, but this is your full-time job right running so full press <laughs> yes yes absolutely <laughs> and even if it was which it's not um regretfully only you know going through submissions is only one one hundredth of everything that needs to be done packing and shipping marketing advertising right accounting finance legal yeah exactly so and when you're an author you get dragged into some of that too yes 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 yeah but uh, um and then if we turn you down do respond say thank you for considering you know you don't have to you don't have to gush. You don't have to grovel. But just say thank you. We know you're disappointed, but getting that thank you back is is really good f- for your future contacts with us. If if you plan to make any, and you should, because just because we turned you down for one thing doesn't mean that we're going to turn down everything that you send us. And it's always good to leave doors open. It's it, it's never a good idea to burn bridges as a writer. And I've I've talked more about handling rejections and that rejections can happen for any number of reasons. Um, the, one of the things that we like to, or that I like to talk about a lot, is that this is a community. Furry fandom is a 
a pretty tight community. And if you respond to Sofawolf with a, how dare you reject my brilliant masterpiece, you people wouldn't know good quality work if it came up and bit you on the tail. Um, these guys know most of the other publishers in the fandom. <laughs> and if you write them and a we talk over drinks. If yeah. you write them a particularly juicy rejection letter, those, get, those become the fodder of stories. <laughs> And your name gets bandied around, and when you start sending your novel to one of those other publishers, they're going to be like, oh, this is the brilliant masterpiece biting on the tail guy. Right, right. We've never had that, by the way. No one has ever responded that way. There's little snarky comments here and there, uh, mostly around short stories, not around novels. But um, So anyway. Um, we have music. It's good. We do. That's we have great. a soundtrack. Nice. Today. Incidental yeah. accompaniment. Soundtrack, yeah. Da -da -da. Um, so that's really that. And then if we do ex accept your work, then you need to be pre prepared for the next challenge, which is to be f flexible in working with us on it, because we'll probably have some ideas to go over with you and all that other great stuff. But you ought to be so thrilled by that point that you'll be all okay with that. But Believe it or not, your novel will not be perfect yeah, when you're yeah. done with your first draft. And it probably won't be perfect when it's finally published in, in printed form either, but, you know. Very true. We'll make it as close as possible. But, but, I mean, you can buy almost any book out there on mainstream shelves and find typos and other issues with it, you know. It might many, be, but... It might be just my age, but I think there's more books with typos now than there were when right. I was growing up. Yeah, there could be. I like to play the find the comma splice game. Oh, yes. <laughs> I and always lose. Just a quick touch on a couple other t topics because it's not entirely writing-related, but graphic novels. Um, if you're coming to us with a previous released group of stuff, like a collection, then try to bring us some sales numbers. Um, you know, I've done this as like five individual comics, and each one has sold blank. Um, that helps us to make a decision, not only do we want this property, but also because that also goes into quality and, and subject matter. But um, do we want this property, and how many should we be looking at printing? 150, you know, 250, 350, 450, etc. Um, we need to turn our inventory. Um, if you're working on something that's a graphic novel that you're in process, then, of course, all the in-process stuff, um, you know, sketches, things like that. Um, and if you have a person who can speak for your professional qualifications, that's not a bad idea either. Um, graphic novels are a long, complex process, and um, they often go awry. So it's great to know that, you know, hey, this person does produce on a schedule. And then there was just one thing I wanted to touch on in terms of general art, because, of course, with our publications, we also do art for the short stories and novels and the covers and things like that. If you're an artist and you happen to be listening to this writing podcast... Um, Some people do. Yeah. I get comments yeah, that's, that... That's, 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 there's one, there's one there out there. Look. That's, that's right. yeah. Hello, artist. Don't all yeah. turn around. Hello, Don't artist. Around. Don't stare. Yeah. <laughs> Don't scare him away. The people at home will hear it. Um, <laughs> the one thing I always wanted to that I wanted to get out because we always kind of run into this is that it is n never, never, never too soon to send us sketches. Uh, if you're working on a cover or 
you know, interior art and all you've done is, you know, blue line on a cocktail napkin, we want to see it. We would love to see it because we like to know that you're working on it. And we don't just want to see the finished product. We don't just want to have it done and, and, and turned in. Even if you have every intention of turning it in on time, you know, to contract and everything's going to be perfect, we still would love to see all those sketches because it makes us sleep a lot better knowing that there's some work going on in this and not just at the last moment. Here it is, all done. It's like we can also help you spot and correct any issues that need to be tuned up in terms of the tie to the art and the story earlier on in the process, which is always you know much better than later on in the process. But um, And then just communicate, you know, and this goes for everything. If you're working with us on any kind of project, a short story or a or or art or anything and you're engaged in the process with us and you're going to be going away to New Zealand for 3 weeks and not have email access, let us know even if you're not <laughs> likely to need email communication in that time about your your active project. This is if you're in an active engaged project with us. Let us know so that we know that the fact that you're not communicating isn't because you've vanished off the face of the earth. Uh, I have a little experience with that from my first novel where, um, you know, we had some issues finding an, an artist and, you know, eventually we got Sarah Palmer, which I'm delighted with, and she did the new novel also. But um, there's a tendency where if you take on a project and then you're not going to be able to complete it or you're not sure you're going to be able to complete it and then the things kind of drag on and you're like, well, maybe I could. And you don't tell the publisher that you think there's going to be a problem because you're kind of ashamed of the fact that you're not going to be able to do it. Well, the longer you delay, the worse it makes it. I mean, if you tell them and they have plenty of time to find a replacement, they'll understand. If you wait until the week before it's due and then say, oh, you know, I had this thing happen two months ago and I was kind of hoping I could still get it done, but it didn't really work out. Um, they're probably not going to call you next time they need someone. Yeah. I mean, we'll be nice in any case. We're not bad people and we're not going to yell at you. Um, but the earlier you can head off problems, the happier we will be with you in the long term and the more likely we are to come back to you. But And one of the reasons that, again, you know, I, I hit this a lot, but we're a community. And... Not only does that mean, you know, haha, we talk about people, we talk about all you know behind your backs, but, um, but it also means that we understand. And that one of the reasons that, you know, I love working with these guys is that they, they understand the community and you go talk to them and say, hey, you know, I'm having this problem. Um, you know, I know I had this deadline, but this, these two, three things happened and I kind of think that deadline might be in danger. Let's talk about what we can do to shift it around, and, um, and they'll work with you. And if you're up front and communicate, then that's, you know, that's terrific. Whether you're a writer or an artist or you know, distributor, publisher, whatever role you play, if you're a consumer and you say, I wanted to come buy your book at Further Confusion, but uh, I'm not going to be able to make it, but I'll definitely purchase them online later, they appreciate that. We do, yes. And, and they appreciate it more when love you actually you too, buy Kyle. it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We love you, too. Well, good. It's and nice also, okay, I'm here. So. It's nice that it's a mutually fulfilling relationship. Though you've only done short stories with us so far. I'm working on it. Good. Yes. I'm working good. on it. Good. Supposedly. Supposedly. Glad to hear it. Secret projects not right that I don't talk not. about. We're not writing right now. Uh-huh. Let me get my pen. Right. Right. 
we have we have these these handsome new uh, courtesy of our tech savvy wolf. We have these handsome new unsheathed pens. Yes. That's that's ah. that, that's P E N S. Yes, all yes. Of and the pen is mightier. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Why do I do the show with you again? <laughs> because it's more fun than sitting drinking alone in your room. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'll take is it. it. Really? I, I think it's more fun. He thinks okay. it's more fun, or he'd go drink alone in his room. That's true. I suppose you Um. Huh. How are we doing time-wise? you want to do one more and then let the audience talk? Or? Uh, All right. Should we open it up? Yeah. What, do you guys Let's have, open it up. What's, do you guys have questions? Uh, I have a couple things to announce, but I can wait until we do a couple questions and I'll make an announcement. So we have an artist over there. <laughs> Sorry, he was, not, he was an incognito artist. I didn't mean to out you. Oh, no. Hey, guys. Um, so long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> uh, Welcome. You've uh, hinted at a sort of interesting duality here that, um, you know, we are sort of a community and there is this inward facing aspect of it. But then you talk about a deck of cards, which any of us would see and, you know, add a lot of other uh, connotation and baggage and association to that everybody outside of this hotel would just see as, you know, a novelty pack of cards. And I'm really curious to hear both from a creative perspective from Mr. Gold and Mr. Hirosaki. Um, you know, how when you're tailoring the stuff that you do, whether you want to, you know, how you adjust. You, you've frequently spoken on the program about uh, not making anything more or less adult, say, than the story demands. Um, but how do you balance that in terms of do you give active thought to what would be more uh, easily accessible to people who aren't necessarily in the community or not? And then from a publishing perspective, uh, you know, how do you balance that inward facing? You obviously you have to service your core constituency, but then you know you are, as you say, a business who would benefit from selling to as many happy buyers as possible. So I'd be curious to hear. You, want to go you know, first? I think I'm going to just echo what Jeff already said right at the beginning about quality getting respect and attention. At that point, I know that when I'm writing my own work, I don't think what's the furry fandom going to want to read into this? I just think, you know, what's going to serve the story I'm writing and, you know, you know, how do I want to tell it? What, you know, what do I want to get across? And I guess I don't really see a big distinction in my mind of, you know, custom tailoring it, you know, one way or the other. I actually got into a discussion with somebody just last week about uh, fandom stereotypes and how it affects writing. And... The point I was trying to make is if I write something that happens to overlap with a fandom stereotype, does that mean I'm automatically pandering? Or is this just, you know, this is, you know, what I wrote. And, you know, if you take this outside of its own context, you know, does that, you know, does that still work? Does that somehow make it invalid? And I don't think it does in that case. No, I, I would agree with that. Um, I think for my own part, I generally don't think about um, I, I think about what an audience is going to think about a particular story. I will say that um, I think that it's just as just as bad to write a story that panders to the furry community as it would be to write one that deliberately contrives to ignore the furry community. Um, the community exists, and the fact is that you know probably. 
95% or more of my readership is the furry community. It would be nice to write something that has broader appeal to the mainstream. And, you know, I, I, probably the latest book I've written has done that a little bit. Tone down the sex, you know, tone up the relationship, the action and all that. But I didn't do it specifically to appeal to the mainstream. That's just what the story demanded. Yeah. And I write stories that are much more that will be much more appreciated within the fandom than without. I write stories that could probably be appreciated across the mainstream. And I enjoy them both. I enjoy writing for the fandom because there's a certain feeling of like doing in-jokes. Like you talk about the you know stereotyping characters. Well, that's something that everybody knows and can get a chuckle out of if you say, oh, well, you know, he's a fox, but he doesn't like to have sex. And everybody in the fandom is going like... I know what's happening by the end of this story, but and you know that's something. Oh my god, that, do they have sex? <laughs> read the book. <laughs> um, dating myself with that one, but no, uh, oh, I got it too. But I need to drink more now. you know the thing is, there's some stories that are more appropriate for the fandom. There's some stories that end up being more appropriate for the mainstream. And for me, it's I like writing both. I like. You know, having that bond and people appreciate it. If it's a, if it's little things, the stories that we write about each other, who no one outside the fandom would would read those. But the people, I hope not. But the people, <laughs> oh god. But the people, but we we enjoy them. We we love doing that, and the people in the fandom get a kick out of it. So it's it's really a fun thing to do. Yeah, and sort of just to build on uh, as a closing note. Don't use fandom preconceptions of you know what you expect your audience to know as a shortcut for just you know do lazy writing. Oh yeah, I would and say you know don't don't use that as a crutch. Like oh I don't need to go in on into depth on this because everyone who's the people who really care about the story are going to want to already going to know what it means. Write it so that you know if somebody's coming into this without any preconceptions, it still makes sense. And all of our all of the pet peeves that we talked about way back in episode six or seven or whatever it was about furry writing still apply. I mean, I still don't use furry slang in my stories usually, but that doesn't mean I can't put in some concepts and character types that are familiar to the fandom. From the publishing perspective, um, in in the last few years, especially um, the. The mantra that it's all about the niche has been sort of bantered around a lot, and it's it's really coming into its fore now because the traditional models are kind of starting to creak and fail about the edges because um, generating books and sending them to stores all over the country if, where about 10% of them get sold and then the rest of them get destroyed is really no good for anyone but the shipping companies. Um, so with a niche publication, you're really targeting a specific market. You're really marketing heavily into that market, and then you're selling heavily into that market. And that's really what SelfWolf has always done. Now, we chose our niche the way that most publishers do because we like it and we have an interest in it. So um, it's you run into problems if you choose a niche that you don't actually believe in because they'll – sniff you out but niches can choose you too you can write a story that appeals to a market that you didn't expect and then suddenly you're in that niche and as long as you're you're true to that niche and you work with it then um that'll be fine and 
you know, can provide an unexpected revenue source. But um, that being said, part of the niche model includes the f fact that you maximize your presence in your niche and then you expand little bits around the edges. Um, that means that you're not really changing any big things very quickly, but you're just expanding a little bit here and there. And that means that you can kind of grow in an organic fashion. Um, we're doing this with... Um, uh, we have an anthology that we don't have up on the website yet, but that we've um, bantered around for about a year now. We had a kind of false start last year about this time, uh, and then we had to um, shelve it for a bit until we had the resources. But it's called Seasons. Uh, it's going to be a um, series of four um, graphic anthologies um, where the um, the graphic stories... Uh, focus around the interpretation of each season, spring, summer, fall, winter. Um, we we liked, um, you know, a lot of this comes unabashedly from flight, um, and it's a um, model which we see as a good way to bring a lot of our best and brightest and also some people from outside um, their qualities in the anthropomorphics and in you know, animal art um, into a a product that we can then sell to the Comic Con market because there's a lot of of like projects like Flight that you know bubbled up after Flight came out, and um, we're just another one, but um, it's a way to do something different that's that's in our genre and then expand it out into this market because they're very popular. So and. From sort of from an author perspective, I think it works the same with the publisher too. Um, if you keep putting out works and you keep the, you know, uh, as an author, you're always trying to get better. Eventually, you know, more and more people will be exposed to your work, and when they find your latest one and say, "Hey, I like this," they'll go back and look for the other ones. And also, if you've never read Flight, you really should. Yeah, it's really good. Also endorse that. Uh, any other questions out there? Please approach the microphone. Hey, uh, you touched on it just now with comments about the transition in the publishing industry. I was wondering what uh, Sofa Wolf's thoughts were on ebooks and that area. Um, ebooks are an interesting phenomenon uh, that really um, we were at a at a um, small um, publishers. Uh, business convention this year, um, kind of a, a trade show. Well, it wasn't – it has a trade show. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, there was a lot of talk about this. No one's really sure yet what the right model is, um, either publishing completely to ebook or completely to print or one and then the other or both at the same time or in some sort of combination. Everyone's really just trying out different things to kind of see what sticks. Uh, and it'll probably ultimately be different depending on the niche that you're working into as well. Um, but we are currently pursuing the – we do a, a print release for about a year um, and then we may inv investigate putting into – to an ebook e e version after that time has passed. So that's that's kind of what we're doing now. And um, Kyle has some titles up on Amazon, I think. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually format. I'm actually been um, sort of putting a bunch of my books up on Kindle because they make it fairly easy, and it's 
the only DRM-controlled format right now. And despite all that, waterways got pirated from the Kindle format and put on a site somewhere. So, (laughs) you know, people are going to find a way around it, but we knew they would. Um, But it's been... It's been fairly successful. And it's, again, another way, you know, I've had people write me and say, I was just browsing and I found your books on the Kindle and I thought, what the hell, and downloaded it and then I bought all the rest and now I want to buy the new one in print. So, you yeah. know, these things, any way people can get to the books. We have people who ask us, you know, can we get an ebook version because I don't want an incriminating book laying around my house. <laughs> <laughs> Move, move out of your mom's house first. And, uh, you can buy whatever you want. You guys should sell like brown paper book covers. Yes, yeah, exactly. In a little bag. Yes. Yeah. Um, speaking of graphic novels, um, what if you wanted to put it online first and then release it through you guys? Or would you prefer to come to the idea first? And speaking of cover art, how would you contact you guys to do cover art? Um, in terms of cover art, what we usually do is try to match the project with an artist that we feel has the right feel or the right tone or the right kind of, um, I don't know, je ne sais quoi for the project. <laughs> um, so Temperament. Yeah, right. Um, so what we usually do is, is, is more just keep an eye on the artists that's out there. Um, we encourage people to contact us with information. Um, we have an address, um, talent at com, and you can contact us at that and say, you know, hey, here's my stuff, take a look at it so that we see it. But we don't... Um, we like to come to the artist for jobs, so um, for cover art and that sort of thing. So um, that's how we handle that. In terms of graphic novels, I'm not sure were you asking, is it better if you just send it with us completely or if you... Um, what would you post? Um, it really all depends. Um, we have no problem with stuff that's been previously published. Um, we consider that a collection sort of collecting your work in a printed form um we usually that will get less volume of traffic than a a direct to print version because it's unique so keeping that in mind um you know i believe you have i believe you have one such collection for sale right now yeah um uh vince um suzukawa's iso um Collection, which is uh, from five volumes, I think it is five individual comic yeah, volumes. I don't then like plush issue zero. Yeah, and yeah, like yeah. yeah. Plush issue zero and, and some added material, and it's like nine chapters, even though it was it was five issues or something. <laughs> but anyway, um, so that's a collection that was previously published, and now we're we're doing as a nicely bound volume. Um, and then, but then we have like Dog's Days, which was well partially online, but then completed in a printed form. Um, we don't have anything totally unique other than of um, Buffalo Wings annuals. Oh, that's right. The Buffalo Wings annuals were direct to print, and of course, um, Blotch's new project, Across the Ice, which is due out probably next year around this time, mm-hmm. tentatively, um, and that'll be a, a direct to print thing and that's also very exciting that's another great great project that we expect to really expand beyond the fandom and be very popular and if anyone was at the panel that they did for that earlier today it's looking gorgeous oh yeah i didn't as, have the pleasure but as I'm you sure would i'll expect. see it later <laughs> sure 
just while we're still on the topic of graphic novels, um, where for direct to print, is it better to go big or go small? I'm thinking like, is it better to really say a 100 page graphic novel that's you know a huge giant story? Better to release it in small small parts that can be sold individually. Um, we don't actually do traditional style um, flimsy comics. We only do books, so um, the minimum that we usually kind of look at is around 50 pages. Um, 75 is probably a better range for something like that. So um, that's the area that we're in. Uh, there's plenty of people playing in the comics uh, uh, realm, and we didn't feel the need to, you know, to disturb that. So um, My goodness, we, we have a bunch of artists in the audience with yes. all sorts yes. of art questions. Right. Maybe a writing question this time. Actually, it is. Excellent. Um, We're not obsolete This yet. one's more Yay. to you guys. You guys were talking about rejected works earlier. Uh-huh. want to know, have any of you guys been rejected before? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, yes. And Can I had my writing rejected, too. <laughs> Can you give us an example of some of these works? Oh, wow. You know, actually, the true story is I actually met Kyle by him uh, trying to, you know, convince me to whip a story into shape for uh, submission to a uh, certain publication. And so I'm like, okay, yeah, like I can do that. And, you know, I was happy with the story, and it just ended up not really working out. And, you know, it, in retrospect, it's not the greatest story I'd ever written anyway, and I'm not too heartbroken about it not having been you know selected especially since it led to this years long collaboration and friendship that we've had going so there's an upshot to everything absolutely <laughs> um my I, I had a bunch of stuff rejected um that probably doesn't bear talking about too much early on i wrote i've written into zines like you know fantasy and science fiction not with adult stuff of course but um written into other collections had those stories rejected uh, I've had two stories rejected from Heat, but those probably aren't great rejection stories because the first story that was rejected from Heat went on to become the novel Out of Position, um, which did You okay. sure showed them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, and, and it just goes to prove what I, what I keep saying, which is it wasn't right for the magazine at the time, and that was a completely legitimate reason, and I believed in the story, and I thought that there was more to tell. And I, I said, I'm going to keep working with this. Um, and the other story that was rejected from Heat is um, being published through Fur Planet next month. So, um, Yeah, I was I, actually personally involved in, uh, in rejecting that one. So you was, And again, it wasn't right for the magazine for a number of reasons. Um, so my rejection story, basically, I don't take rejection well. I take the story and go make it work somewhere else. Um, those are my rejection stories, pretty much. Do <laughs> yeah. um, anything else out there before I take a quick break? All right. Quick one in the back. I recognize that paw. Uh, just in terms of, like, as part of So Full Press, you have, like, requirements, like, uh, for... A short story or for a novel, does it have to be like a specific length? Is there too long for either capacity? Like, if you had like someone submit a manuscript that was like 500 pages long, would you be like, okay, this is fantastic, 
please tone it down or something like that? Um, if the story needs to be 500 pages long, then we probably wouldn't say that. But but if the story doesn't need to be that long, then yes, we will definitely say that, whether it's 500 pages or 200 or, you know, 12. Though if you get much below that, there isn't much left. But right. um, <laughs> So stories should be the length that they need to be. Um, Every story has its own proper length, and we will help you find it. Um, there are there are restrictions in terms of um, of what we can print as a single bound volume. Um, we don't plan to be printing any War and Peace anytime soon um, because it's unwieldy and impossible to ship, and a lot of other terrible things like that. Um, so we may want to split it into multiple volumes, things like that. But but really, that shouldn't be anyone's concern. You should write uh, the story the length that it should be. And if that's too long for our specific publication, then you should you know find s- some other venue for it. But um, we heartily encourage people to write well and then find a market, not try to write yeah, for a market. Exactly, um, and. You know, Hirosaki-san and I always say the story finds the length it needs to be, and your your style of writing. I venture to say, if you're writing a 500-page book, your style of writing may be to put down everything that you think could possibly be relevant to your story as you're writing it, and you will probably find on going through a second time or third time editing that you'll find things that you can cut because. It's simply world building, and while it's really interesting, it's actually much more interesting if you leave it in the background. Um, you yeah, so, yeah, don't, uh, yeah, don't, don't rob the reader of their chance to use their imagination to fill in the blanks. Um, you know, your readers are probably smarter than you might want to give them credit for, which is kind of a shocking realization that some of us have to come to eventually. But um, your book should be an iceberg. Yeah, the visible part should be just a small percentage of what you know about the rest of your world and your story. And you, you, there's going to be a tendency, you're going to be really excited with all the stuff you thought up and you want to, want to go, on a, you know, go up to the rooftop and shout it to the world of, you know, look at the, you know, these great ideas and you know, details and scenarios I've come up with. And if it's not immediately relevant, you don't have to put it in. And in fact, if you put it all in, it's probably just going to bore whoever's not you. Yeah. Exactly. And that doesn't mean it's not good ideas. It's just it doesn't necessarily belong in the story you're writing. Um, should I? Uh, okay. Um, should I? Do you guys have any more questions for uh, Jeff while he's here? He'll stick around. But we'll, uh, dun, dun, I'll be here all weekend. We have, we, have a, we have a famous podcaster in the audience. Yes. Hello again. Uh, Why don't you introduce yourself? Oh, this is Fuzz Wolf. <laughs> and you're a... Hey, Fuzz Wolf. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was I trying to stay on the down low. Like <laughs> no, you can't get away with that with us. Yeah. Uh, we know you too well. Uh, question for Jeff. Uh, believe me, I... I feel your pain with working a day job and running a furry business at the same time. So I know you're strapped for time. But if I recall correctly, um, you have a story in the first uh, New Tibet volume. So I know you're a writer also. Have you ever thought of uh, picking up the pen again or continuing your writing? I 
think about it along with other things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like sleep and, and, and peace and a real vacation for once. But no, um, actually I have two stories. I have one in the first uh, New Tibet and one in the second New Tibet volume. Um, and yeah, I, we were both writers back in the day, um, Tim and I, and we, we started doing the very things that, uh, that Kyle and, and, uh, me, (laughs) KM, do I call you KM or just Hirosaki? You can call me whatever you want. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) You, um, you can call him panting otter slut on this program. Ooh, excellent. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. I don't wow. think that I can say that without more wine, though. But the people um, in the audience got to see my eye roll of of shame and <laughs> disacknowledgement. Um, but we did much the same thing that these guys do: um, trading stories, just talking about stuff. And it was just that uh, that ultimately, for me, writing takes a long, long time. I need large chunks of non-interrupted time in order to write in. And um, Tim can work on things practically in f- five-minute increments, it seems. Um, and I'm just not that good at it. So um, writing is a great thing. It would be a great thing if I actually had leisure time. Uh, I, I don't and haven't for the past, oh, eight years and probably don't expect to have any in the next eight. So, But I would like to get back to it eventually. Yes, I would. But you do get a little bit of that thrill of writing from, from editing. I know I, I've been... Yes editing an anthology over the past year and um, it's it's a little bit it's helping to craft a story and I get to write marketing collateral which is just like you know greatly exciting and legal contracts which is oh so enjoyable (laughs) yes I'm so happy that you take care of that for me (laughs) Um, anything else I actually don't have a, a question per se, but something I wanted to, to kind of throw out there and, and, I don't know, maybe potentially embarrass some people, but I just wanted to say thank you to all, all three of you and as well as everybody else who is not here from Sofa Wolf. But, you know, you talk about, you know, growing your business and putting out quality and just over the past couple of years you've seen writing come more to the forefront and I think it has been in large part because quality things come out and that really encourages more people to to take the effort, put the effort into their things and prove it and what you've been doing with Unsheath to you know, make quality more accessible or to help people improve their quality and just wanted to say thank you for that and you know, things like uh, your anthologies and your novels have gotten me into to working and writing and you know, getting things published. So I did want to say thank you for all you've done for, you know, not just your own company and your own publishing careers, but for the fandom as a whole. So thank you very much. Well, well thank you for the thanks. Yeah. And, thank you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, will, I will say that it's entirely out of selfish motives. We want to have more quality stuff to read in the fandom, so we're... Trying to, you know, help help the fandom as much as we can, and you know that that plus all the alcohol is making me feel so warm and fuzzy inside. Aww. To match your outside. 
<laughs> and I would say that, like, even even just in terms of what we're doing, um, the fandom is growing on its whole, and and maybe we had some hand in it. I don't know, maybe, but um, you've noticed over the years the the amount of professionalism in the products and the companies is growing. I mean, it, it, just in the last five years, you look around the dealer's room and there's a lot more care put into not only the products but the displays and people are getting more marketing savvy and really starting to kind of polish their their whole image and their act and everything. And that's really great because I can kind of see in this the beginnings of what um, Comic-Con is now. I mean, we probably won't have any, you know, uh, Weta Workshop displays anytime soon at, like, free cons, um, which, if you haven't been to Comic-Con, are, are like, just ginormous room-sized things with, you know, huge video displays and everything else. But... um, but even the smallest artist there or comic book creator has their own kind of marketing stuff and they're, they're really kind of marketing themselves and their products. And we're really kind of seeing that now. And it's great. It's yeah. very exciting. I think that sort of what we've had uh, lately is sort of the development of this cycle where the writers are taking the writing seriously. And when they start doing that, the community takes the writing seriously, which inspires other writers to take it seriously. And it's really been taking off. And like I've said it many times in the podcast, but that's just been wonderful to see over the last few years. It's sort of the snowball effect. And we're, oh, we're living in the um, in the furry renaissance, I guess. So I guess, or the furry nissance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um, Does anybody else have to start wearing frilly collars? Uh, well, half of us wear collars anyway, so if you like, we just have to add some lace. Um, no, I will. I will say, and I, I say this a lot, and I don't know if I ever say it enough. But um, watching the community grow, and I've been in this community under one name or another for um, a good, oh, over twenty years now, and watching it grow from from where it was as a small room party at a world con into. Um, 20, 25 conventions um, a year worldwide or more. I'm guessing there's one every weekend, so that's probably closer to 50. But And and not only that, but the, the professional publishing, the, the way a lot of the artists are becoming more professional, um, the just the way the growth of the community and the way the people are taking it seriously as... A, I don't. The hobby doesn't really do it justice, but it's really a. Um, it's really its own thing, and we have people doing music. We have people, you know, the the artwork. Every year, you walk through the art show and you see just amazing quality stuff. And you know, we Kit and I go walk through art galleries sometimes, and. You know, the, the furry stuff we see, half the stuff we see in the art show would not be out of place in any art gallery we've walked through. Um, the, the writing, the uh, watching Fur Planet in, over the last couple years, um, the, the music scene has really come on lately. 
uh, the podcasts have just exploded, and you know our own primitive, humble addition to it, uh, notwithstanding that there's a ton of those out now, and just everything that people are doing. It's I, I think it, it basically Jeff said it best. People are taking it seriously. Now, like I, you know, this isn't just kind of some goofy thing I do in my spare time. This is something that you know I can create a product, and there's a lot of people out there that will appreciate and enjoy it. And if you look at the um, the, one of the numbers that I found out a few years ago that really sort of boggled my mind is there were, in the year, I think, this was part of the whole Long Tail article, if, if any of you guys are familiar with that, when that came out, and I think it was 2006. Um, he said there were like 1.2 million books published in the year 2006. And one million of those books sold fewer than 100 copies. And, the, and he was talking about the, you know, the ability of, people, of marketers like Amazon to store you know, one or two copies of all of these little niche books and have, be able to service a whole bunch of different specialty markets. But the thing I took away from that is you know, when you're looking at SofaWolf and you're looking at you know, Fur Planet, you're talking about sales in the hundreds. That's, more, that's in the top 15 20% of all books published in a year. And that's, that's a respectable number. That's a lot of people out there reading our stuff. And, you know, the stuff that's being published is gathering fans. People are passing the books around. People are talking about them. And it's, it's you know, circulation is better than a lot of small presses that just publish to literary markets or publish to other niche markets. This is a real viable community. And not only that, it's a community that's so much fun to be a part of uh, that, I, I absolutely love this. I love living in this time. I love being a part of it. And I love going to these conventions and meeting all of you guys. It's absolutely terrific. Yeah. Kudos us. <laughs> Yay to all of you. Kudos to all of you. And uh, just as a quick aside announcement, I wanted to say that the early returns um, from the end of year Financials suggest that um, Kyle's book, Out of Positions, sold more than a thousand copies in its first year. Oh my God, are you serious? That and that is. Uh, really amazing and I owe my thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast everybody who bought one of those books um, you guys and you know blotch for doing the artwork and all that um, you guys are amazing and it really just uh, astounds me it's a thousand is a number that you know if you're a mid-list author at a major publishing house and you sell two thousand books in your first year that's really good so for us to do this just in the furry fandom that's yep. it. And, you know, thank you guys. That's yeah, so that's only a for start. It'll go more than that, for sure, you know, over the next years. So. Yeah. yeah. To put that in perspective, that Those would be like two. asking one out of every three people at this convention. There you go. Yep. So that's very cool. And so, you know, thank you all for that. And the guys at SofaWolf for doing a great job with the distribution and getting it out there. So For everyone who bought it. Yeah. And that's a, a nice segue into... Um, the contest winner announcement. The room goes quiet. Um, uh, to clarify for people who don't know, 
or are not regular listeners, uh, of about the beginning of September, I announced that I was going to be writing a sequel to Out of Position. I'm currently about 90,000 words in. And I swear to God, I had this idea, and then the very next week, I read about another author that was doing it. So, you know, I did come up with it independently, but um, I thought it would be a neat idea for to have a kind of contest where someone could get to define a character that would show up in the novel. Not a major character, but they'd have a cameo, and, you know, that person could define the name and the species within the boundaries of the world. Um, and I figured I would probably have a couple points where a character could come in so they could be one of a couple different roles and, you know, give me a little more background on the character, and it would actually appear in the novel. So I thought that would be kind of cool. Um, people responded to it, and the way we decided to do the contest was... Uh, we would have them go out and take pictures of the book out of position in sporting-related settings or with sport-related people. And we ended, up, we ended up getting 37 pictures, and I think about um, 36 of them were from Ski Fox back there. <laughs> um, but uh, it, was, it was not easy to choose a winner, and in fact, I ended up, we ended up, I uh, conferred with the SoFolf guys and with Kit, and we ended up deciding that there were two runners-up who I'm now going to have to think of something else nice to do for them, um, but we'll figure that out later. I will tell you who they are now so that they can hold me to it. And we do have one winner. So I will tell you who the runners-up are first, in no particular order. Um, Ski Fox and Tom Leo both submitted terrific pictures. Um, Ski Fox had some great pictures in the uh, band at, uh, I believe it's James Madison, mm -hmm. and even had a picture of the book with a couple of originals from the book next to the Division Two championship trophy? One double A. One AA. Um, Tom Leo submitted pictures of himself with a couple of actual college football players, including a fairly high-profile quarterback. Um, and these guys really went above and beyond to get photos. And I'm, I promise you guys I will find something very nice for you to do. Um, we had a photo submitted by um, Kagusaki, who was our winner. He submitted a picture with a, a, a two-time Olympian, 1976 gold medalist, whom he said was his hero. And he detailed how it took him forever to track down this guy. He had to take off work to go get the picture. And... Got a picture of, with the guy. I don't have a copy of the book, but he's holding the book front and center like this. So, uh, so there was that. But the capper to it was in the comments under the picture, somebody asked him, why didn't you get a picture of yourself with him? And he said, we were in such a rush. I only had time for one picture, and I got it with the book, and I didn't get a picture of myself with him, and I, I really regret that, but... He got the picture to submit to the contest, and I said, well, you know, <laughs> that is dedication. So he is our winner. Um, I will be sending him an email because I do not believe he's here at the con, although if he is here, no, he's not. Um, the other two guys are here. You guys can come up after the podcast. But congratulations to both of you guys that are here. Um, The, um, the photo gallery is up at kylegold.com. It's a 
a pretty annoying URL at the moment because I don't have a shortcut to it. We're in the process of redesigning the site, but it's kylegold.com slash cpg14x <laughs> because it's a copper mine photo gallery version 1.4 something or another so anyway write that down in your copy books now yes <laughs> for those of you that were listening to the podcast and just scrabbling for a pen and don't want to repeat it cpg14x is the directory you can see all 37 photos and write your comments on there um, thank you to everyone who participated it was really cool seeing the book in all these great locations uh, I'm told that there is a picture, or was supposed to be a picture, of the book in Antarctica, but um, I've not actually seen that one yet. So we'll see if that one comes out. But thank you again. Congratulations to the winner. And um, if, uh, depending on how things work out with him, I might give you guys details of which character it is, or he, we may just say, wait to pick up the book and see if you can figure it out. Uh, the book is, in case I didn't mention it, about 90,000 words in, and it's... I know the ending now, so that's good. <laughs> I didn't really know it that well when I started, but I have a good idea about how it's going. Um, so that was my break there. Um, do you guys have any more questions? Who else brought questions to ask? There you go. Just a quick question. Just a quick question. Is the end of uh, your sequel to Out of Position a happy one or a sad ending? Well, I'm not writing it, so... (laughs) Yes. You know, I'm... Everything's happy for someone. Everything's happy for someone. Um... I firmly believe that nothing is 100% happy or 100% sad. Um, I'm just going to leave it at that. In exactly one year, you will have an opportunity to find out. Yay. Yep. You know, God willing and the flood don't rise or something. Anyone else? Come on, we got... How much time? Nine minutes? Eight minutes? <laughs> Kit's saying we don't... Uh, Oh, we, technically we have like eight minutes, so. That's true. And I do have one more. Uh, I do have one more thing to to do, but I wanted to get all the questions first. Could you uh, talk about how you uh, market a book uh, that you anticipate being sold mostly to the furry community, and maybe what you do with a book that you are trying to market outside of it? Um, we haven't had any novels that we've actually been marketing out of the fandom yet, but. Um, that day will come, and we'll we'll jump that shark when we come to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the moment, um, uh, it, it's really a, a, a complex process of of like getting the word out there, um, getting the artists or the authors and the artists because the artists are part of the picture as well uh, involved in sort of bringing their own little groups because you know each group has their own little followers getting them involved to bring them into the process so that they know about it uh, and then more of the traditional sources of uh, you know banner ads are a little little I'm not convinced that banner ads lead to much because most people ignore them completely. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what the 
current banner ads on for Affinity are. I just ignore them. So, And I'm sure that's a lot of people's thing. You see them all the time, so you get so used to them that it's just meh. You know, you ignore them. I, I could tell you what they are. I think they're kind of cute, but I almost never click on them. Okay. Well, <laughs> like, oh, that one. you're more observant than I am, I suppose. Well, but, yeah. But... There was one with puppies, I think, recently. I think it was it was for some con. Oh, it was a New Year's thing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember but that. That's the Cocktails. only one I remember, and that's because it had puppies on. Cocktails has had a banner ads up. Um, I noticed that one, of course. But um, there's the ones with typos. There are a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's know, again kind of. I know Fur Planet had a banner ad up there. I saw yeah. that one. Yeah. No, no, it had typos. No, it had a jackalope. It had it had uh, it had a uh, badger. But that's true. But that's again kind of a scattershot thing. I mean, even though you're you're marketing to furries, you're marketing to the fur affinity crowd, and you know a lot of them may have no interest at all. So that's that's in a small pool. That's still a shotgun approach. But um, so we're we're always looking for new ideas, and we're always kind of trying to fine tune it. And we're playing around with social media and. Twitter, and we haven't really found the right usage or the right fit for that yet, but um, we're trying things out and doing everything we can, because we know that there's still people in the fandom who don't know about our stuff who would like it if they read it, and um, so that gives us something to shoot for. Anything else out there? All right. Oh. Oh, oh, we have uh, we have one question. Oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's you. So I just wanted to say that um, earlier this evening there was a tentacle rape scene that was played out in the halls of the convention center, and this may appear on the internet at some point. And would any of you like to make a statement before it appears on the internet? I believe the phrase panting otter slut is more appropriate here. <laughs> to be fair, the sign did say that the hentai monster needed love. <laughs> I think I, I think that pretty much says it all. I was just following instructions. <laughs> yes, insert here. Um, you made me break my pen. <laughs> On that high note. On that high note. Um, so I have a question here for people, and this is not as self-serving as it may at first appear, um, but keep your hands up. Has, I, I have seen a bunch of you over getting the book signed at the Sofwolf table. Has anybody started reading the new book, Shadow of the Father? Has anyone started the book yet? The book? Or the book. What you posted? Uh, or what I posted. Has anyone read beyond what's been posted in the room? <laughs> there's one, there's a paw up way in the back. Yeah. And there's one here. Um, yeah, you guys don't count. Um, no, there's, there's one there and there. Well, actually, you'd be surprised. Oh, is there someone over there, too? Yeah. I didn't see. Yeah, the first in the, in the back was The first in the back. Okay, how far are you, you guys? Oh, the first you can't talk. This might be a problem. <laughs> Um, we can have Lovejoy do interpretive dance. Pantomime it. That's true. So how far are you guys in the book? Not that far. I'm probably up to page 30. 30. Fursuit, are you further than page 30? No. <laughs> no. <Less. laughs> Only a little ways in. All right. Well, my idea was to give this away to the person who had gotten the furthest in the book at the convention so far. So um, 
think page 30 would win. Uh, yeah. 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 All right. They did. Do you want to come up? I'll you get a prize. I'll notarize it for you. We have um, we've been giving these away at conventions. Um, we have a large-scale print of the cover. And it's been signed by myself and the artist over in the corner. So congratulations. Thank you for reading the book. And, uh, the signing was over in the corner. The artist is not actually over in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for a moment I looked, I'm like, she's not here. Um, and uh, that, I believe, concludes. Uh, or oh, 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 I'm sorry. We we have instructions from the Tech Savvy Wolf here. Um, we have. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but how do we decide? How to give them out to people? Who deserves cool swag? Look at all these people. They all deserve. Swag. They all deserve swag. Okay, we've got. Um, I. How many people? Oh, how many people in the audience already listened? Gotcha. How many people have already listened to the podcast before showing up at the convention? Oh wow! Yay. Awesome. How many people who did not before are going to listen to it now? <laughs> cool. Thank you. Um, oh, wait. I'm disappointed in you so much. <laughs> what, what we'd like you to do is write in and ask us or, you know, just shout out what kind of things you like, what would you like us to do more of. Um, since we're here, we rarely get a chance to talk to you face-to-face. Um, just, you know, yell out for a bit. What, what do you like us doing? What do you want to see more of? What do you want to see less of? Painting otter sluts. <laughs> Painting otter sluts. Can do. I believe it. I believe the obligatory blowjob reference is right here. <laughs> you, you have arrived, sir. Yes. What was that? I'd like to see more of that not tube fellow on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> more, more of the not tube fellow noted, and um, less of tube and less of extension. Tube. That guy's a jerk. <laughs> yes. Actually, we have we have not tube on every podcast. It's only rarely that we have not tube. It's seldom so loud. It's a small technical thing. Uh, I'll five sons of your files so that I can know when I'm on a slow connection and it disconnects and I try to start up again whether I've got the file. Put the... It's a checksum to verify. Checksum, okay. We'll talk to our tech-savvy wolf about that. It's great to have uh, publishers like Jeff Eddy on the show and if, uh, if there's more, like, more guests like this, it would be great. More guests like publishing and stuff like that, yeah. We we might be able to do that. I believe that uh, we'll all be down at Furry Fiesta, and uh, we'll certainly be uh, looking. I wonder if Fuzzwolf will be there. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to see like maybe a grammar tip a week, like you know you mentioned comma splice. I just wanted to say that when you mentioned grammar, define it or say you know something that. You can like look for that may not be the most common thing, but a way to improve your writing. Comma splice sounded for a minute like a non-naughty Adam Wan poster. <laughs> um, Does it exist? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, only like Rule Thirty Four with Adam's stuff. I don't know if that applies. It would have to be like a Rule Forty Three, like. <laughs> 
if there's so if there's porn of something, there must be non-porn of it eventually. But I don't know if that's even true. <laughs> but if there is non-porn, Adam Wan will make porn. will make it. He'll make non-porn porn. Right. <laughs> so one thing uh, I really liked was when you did a uh, little, just a real brief writing exercise, like on, on sounds, you one with not to. That one was really interesting, just to kind of. Uh, oh yeah, we enjoyed more, doing those. Yeah, I have more of the uh, like we all like you guys as writers, so. Uh, you think about novels, and you are a novel writer, but sometimes just the act of writing very short pieces illustrates some of the things. Okay, so little writing exercises. Those were fun to do. I think we can certainly break some more of those in. Anything else? Yell out? Yeah, I would second the writing exercises and also insights into your process. I know that it's a forum for those sorts of insights and then also information about your upcoming releases. Obviously, we're all really interested to hear what you're working on. Well, do we do we not talk about those enough? secret projects, not like yes, we got doing amazing I have a novella called Bridges coming out at Furry Fiesta, which I read from earlier today, um, which is part of the reason my voice is going. Um, it was the story that we rejected, although it's yes. in a it's in a different form now. So. It is. It's better and longer and. And um, thank you. I was searching for. And by a word. the way, the length was the problem. It was really more the length. See these, the sofa wolf guys have problems with length. Yep. <laughs> really, I don't have that. <laughs> Anyone else yell out? Someone should insert a ream joke here. It took a whole ream to print that story. If you're doing more writing exercises, you might want to say. Here's a writing exercise, the best, you know, 300 or 500 word submission. We'll read on air next week. That might be a great way to get Yeah, we've had, a, we've had a couple of people say that, too. And we definitely encourage people to send us emails, um, unsheathedpodcast.gmail.com, again, just to remind you all. Um, if we do a writing exercise on the air and you feel like trying your hand at it or your paw at it, um, send it in. You know, write it and send it in. And we so far have not received any emails that we looked at and said, well, hell no, we're not going to read this on air. Which so. amazes me. <laughs> we, have, <laughs> we have awesome listeners. We do. This is me pandering. <laughs> Actually, I just want to say that when we did the call for the show of hands of who listened to the podcast, when we did this at Rainfur's, which was our first live show, I think two people in the room raised their hand. And yeah. then, like, like almost all y'all tonight and just seeing that was just wow it's super cool i, I mean we people we get <laughs> yeah y'all you're the southern <laughs> guy. i'm i'm contagious yeah you're rubbing off on me <laughs> yes um alien um i'm not sure about how technically this would be done but like if you had guests phone in like it's obviously you three in front of the microphones right now. Maybe you could get like um, a foreign or someone that lives in like you know England or. You know, we we've actually. Yeah, we've, we've talked to a couple of people, um, specifically Eliza Roll, who, who's reviewed a couple of my books for the more mainstream gay romance market and who ran the Rainbow Awards. We talked to her about coming on the show. Um, we need to work out technical issues with Skype and uh, our tech-savvy wolf over in the corner. He is actually in the corner. Um, not just writing in the corner. All those early, early episodes that had all the bad audio problems, that was because of Skype. So we need to work that out. And that was also because we didn't have anyone managing the audio at that point. He stepped in and said, 
I can do this a lot better if you want. And we said, please. <laughs> oh, and before I forget, you can hear all those early episodes and how terrible they sound and how much better they sound now. Um, we have an audio DVD that uh, is being sold at Sofal Press Table. For those of you listening on iTunes or MP3 much later, we so far are only going to just bring these around to conventions, but we may drop some off with some other distributors if they feel like it to sell. Um, mostly it's stuff that's already available online except for a few things. Uh, each of us read one of our already published stories in audio format. Uh, I talked about that a little bit, about the excitement of trying to do six different accents in a story, sometimes switching back and forth from... Uh, British narrator to Russian protagonist to German wolf to whatever else, Aussie, Aussie dingo. Um, so if you want to hear that, it's on the DVD. Um, and we also have the lost episode of Anthropodcast, which we recorded when Flane was out visiting. And Anthropodcast has kind of gone on hiatus before he had a chance to post it. And we contacted him, and he said, sure, do whatever you want with it. And we still had the recording, so... Um, this was back earlier in the year when the NFL prospects were not so bleak as they are now. And we, uh, we made our Super Bowl picks, actually, on that Anthropodcast yeah. episode. And Some of them are shockingly accurate. I'm, I'm proud to say that my Super Bowl pick, I believe, is still in play. So is mine. So. Although it might require one of our teams to lose for it to happen. Well, yeah. Um, so you can pick these up. Sorry. Uh, and the proceeds from these are um, uh, totally going to the po- uh, the podcast. We're just yes. selling them for them. Uh, it's to help them defray all this nice equipment that we're speaking into. Kyle makes Jeff enough money already. He doesn't need to do any more. <laughs> <laughs> he makes the press enough money. Yes. Well, I haven't we seen all any make- money out of this operation <laughs> yet, and I don't expect to. We, we all make enough money to continue to bring all of you guys more publications. That's what it's about. Um, anything else people would people would like to see? Bloopers. If bloopers. We have surprisingly few of those. Oh God, we have one outtake from the uh, Unsheathed Presents, but I don't know if we could. <laughs> I don't know if we could actually legitimately put that out on the air. I don't think I would be up for that. This one might be hard for the people listening to uh, only listening to this podcast, but uh, can we get him a different hat? What's wrong with his hat? (laughs) Look, I was wearing this hat before we, you know, had this guy on, so that, that, that. (laughs) Okay, you have, you have flustered the otter, you get a pen. And I'm the pizza guy, this is good, everybody's going to be signing on for the next several months. (laughs) Wow, that's awesome. Which is which is actually appropriate because one of his most favorited stories yeah. is the pizza delivery story. I have a pizza guy story. Hot and Pe- fresh, delivered straight to your door. Guaranteed. <laughs> or not so straight to your door. I, I, I do like my headgear. I think yes. it makes me look both stylish and helps me stand out in a crowd. You look like the Green Lantern. <laughs> <laughs> do I look like Kyle Rayner or Hal Jordan? See, I don't, I don't see accountant when I look at that. I see like newspaper editor. But that's, um, 
Blah, blah, blah. What's the last one? Oh, do you like the Unsheathed Presents? I think everybody we've talked to likes the Unsheathed Presents, although some people have said that they find it a little difficult to listen to furry porn, like piped right into their ears. <laughs> what's, the, what's the not cast term for it? Coming into your ears? Coming into your ears. Coming into your ears, yeah. I should so, write a story about Saverin. Do a quick... Oh. No, we should... I think I think my favorite comment was from someone who said he couldn't I don't remember if I heard this on Notcast or if somebody was writing it on FA, but they were like they couldn't I think it was from Notcast, said I couldn't listen to their podcast at work because they had their headphones on in the computer and somebody called them to go do something and they like wheeled their chair over and the headphones popped out of the jack and the computer started blaring. <laughs> I just want to. S- I am very quick on the mute button. <laughs> I just say I really hope that that was Unsheathed Presents number two and not Unsheathed Presents number one. Just for I my think it own. was. I think it was actually a not cast. Uh, we were saying something horrible at the time. They were. Yeah, they were. Oh, you'd never do that. Oh yeah, yeah. It was because they you inadvertently outed them as furries because you made some comment and then they had to explain what the hell the people on the podcast were talking about. I forget what it was. Yes. Was yes. <laughs> That sounds like something you'd say, folks. But, <laughs> but quick, quick show of hands. Um, how many people would like to see more Unsheathed Presents, more of us reading stories on the air? Well, that seems like a pretty convincing majority. How many people think that it's the devil's work? <laughs> I noticed some of you raised your hands twice. <laughs> so, good on you. Absolutely. Any parting words from our audience? And thank you guys. We know, as uh, as we say, we know you have other things you could be doing with your Saturday night, and we are so happy you came to spend it with us. Um, you guys make us keep going. Uh, I, we've uh. said this before. We kind of thought when we started this that you know we would sit down and record a few things, have a few laughs, and after a month mm-hmm. we get bored and no one would be listening to us. And yeah. to show up and and have you know a good fifty people in the room with us. Maybe forty. I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to say fifty on a Saturday night at a convention when there's dances and stuff. Did I say two hundred? Yes. Oh, a billion D. A a billion. So you know, um, tell the conventions you enjoyed it. Tell the conventions they they should do more of it. Um, We're going to attempt to keep doing them. Uh, Furry Fiesta has already said that they will let us sit in a room and yap into microphones for a while and. you know, hey, if any conventions out there want to fly me out to be on your podcast <laughs> at your thing, I will. That's, that's true. Hey, if uh, you know, so full of press can be a guest of honor, then maybe the unsheathed crew could be guests of honor sometime. Ooh. <laughs> Kay, Kay Hirsaki just got all shivering. Does that mean I get the sweet with the free uh, alcohol in it? I don't know that it was free alcohol, but... Uh, but, all right, thank you very much. Uh, enjoy the rest of your convention. We certainly are having a hell of a good time here, and... Yeah. Uh, this has Keep been one of the best cons I've been to in a long time, actually. I've and had a great yes, time thank here. Thank you, Furcon. We're, yeah, thank you especially to Furcon for all that they've done, um, allowing us to record here and accommodating our schedule and time frame and somehow magically arranging for there to be a table in this room where there was no table yet hours before. <laughs> um, thank you all. Um, 
I'm Kyle Gold. I am Cam Harasaki. And we're wishing you a very happy furry convention and good night. Thank <laughs> you.